very, very familiar passage of Scripture, beginning in verse number 19. There was, now I want you to, to gather the next four words, a certain rich man, which, had, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. Verse 20. And there was, notice the next three words, let's read them together, a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. Two certain ones who had nothing in common. Zeke, how about you praying? Amen. You'll be seated. Before us in our text is one of the most solemn, heart-gripping stories of all the Bible. It is the story of two certain ones in Luke that had nothing in common in life or in the life to come. It is a story of contrast and difference. It's a story of the great diversity of life. It is a story of two men who lived polar opposites of each other in the social order. One man owned much. Other man owned nothing. One man lost everything, the other gained everything. One was a beggar in this life, and the other is a beggar in the life to come. As we think about this certain rich man and this certain beggar, I believe the truth the Lord would like, would, would so desire us to see tonight is this. That this temporal world and our eternal world have nothing really in common. And that they are so different. There is not a one of us that has not or would not look at the rich men in this story and desire to live and be where he is. As a matter of fact, it is no doubt for some the great desire of their life to have another this or another that. I, I'm going to bring a series for too much longer on virtues. The Bible words mentioned six times. The word virtue was mentioned. And... Um, one of the great virtues that has to be learned is the one of contentment. How that we live in a world that is absolutely so discontented. Because they're always living for something else or something more. Another this or another that. 
But these two men lived and they had nothing in common. First of all, while they lived on earth, the certain man is identified as Lazarus. Many would lead you to tell us and historians and um, men that much smarter than I will ever be have said that we know it's not a parable because this uh, and a parable names are never given. Yet Lazarus is definitely named. The rich man, historians uh, say, was even though he's unnamed in Scripture, historians have often called him Dives, which was a Latin name for the rich man. But in our study, we're just going to call him what God called him, a rich man. Now, if you were to ask people today, if they could make one wish, he would probably, in most cases, be, if I could just win the lottery, if I could just be rich, have more money. But let's look at this man for just a little bit while he lived on earth. First of all, don't miss this, daily... He enjoyed a life of plenty. The Bible says there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Here was a man, and don't miss this, every day. The Bible is very clear. There was not a day that he ever desired anything. Every single day he had whatever he wanted, when he wanted it. He was a man who enjoyed all that this world could possibly give him. Let me bring 2014. He had a carport full of, of the finest automobiles that could be bought. He had closets that walk-in closets bigger than most of our houses. Of all the latest and the greatest that you could ever desire. He was a man that daily enjoyed a life of plenty. Not only that, he was a man that daily dressed his very best. The word purple has the idea that he was clothed in purple and fine linen. That purple talked about was from a shellfish and it was very, very expensive. And the clothing that was dyed purple was very expensive to make. And in most cases, it was a garment of royalty and extreme wealth. And this man only dressed in the finest available every day. If you would have passed him on the street, you would have said, My, my, did you see what he had on? Did you see him? And all of the splendor and the glitter and the gold wrapped around the fact that he daily dressed the very best. Not only that, we see his daily dining habits. The Bible says he fared sumptuously. It has the ideal of, of gourmet feeding and costly dishes. He had the finest shelves that money could buy. He had, he had any 
kind of food he ever wanted in any given time. Here was a man that knew every extreme that could be desired. The Bible's very clear. Here was a man that enjoyed all the luxuries this world could possibly afford. But then we have the beggar. We know his name is Lazarus, for God tells us his name is Lazarus. And the Bible says that there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and designed to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The rich man had everything. And yet, the, as, far, as far as you could go in the opposite direction from rich and wealth and everything, as far as you could go, you would run in at the end of it, Lazarus the beggar. If you and I had passed by this scene, as we do so much of our world, we were given the choice, which one would you rather be? Nobody would have thrown a hand up and said, I'll take the beggar's place. No one would have agreed to that. As a matter of fact, without reservation, we would have said, I'll take the possession and the place of the rich man. But the great contrast, and from God's perspective and our perspective, it is absolutely, amen, praise the Lord, $1,855, praise the Lord, amen. amen. Thank you so much for your giving tonight. And so the great contrast was the total opposite. But from my perspective, the rich man and the beggar, polar opposites, from my perspective, Where's God in this? Where's God in this? This don't make sense. Because as we look at this beggar, may I say he was a deserted man. There was a sudden beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. Now the word laid there does not describe, and it's not a word used, that somebody placed him there with loving and caring hands for somebody to come by and put something in his cup. Oh, no, no. The word laid there has the ideal. Here was a man that was considered a burden. And he was more cast, cast there. No doubt, whoever laid him at the gate every day said, I'll be back later to pick you up and walked away thinking, my goodness, I'm glad that's over with till this evening. Because he was a deserted man. He was considered nothing more than a burden and thrown out on the street to die and to beg for what anybody... No one cared about this man 
He was a derelict on the street. They wouldn't, that's, that's, but it's, that's not all. It gets worse. He was a diseased man. He's full of sores. Some have said he may have had the disease of leprosy. The Bible doesn't tell us that. Now, I'm not sure that I totally believe that because he had leprosy. I don't think he could have been laid at that gate of the rich man. But I will tell you this, he had a disease. He was full of sores. Sores probably come from the life of filth that he had to live. Because, see, he couldn't care for himself. He didn't have the means to care for himself. Either way, his body was covered in diseases with sores all over him. He was a desperate man. He begged for the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. In those days, in, in those days, they didn't eat with spoons and forks as, as we do today. In those days, they ate with their hands. And what they would do when they were done, they would take the bread, and especially the more wealthy you were, the wealthy would take bread and and wipe their hands and then cast the bread down to the dogs to eat. So when Lazarus was saying that he begged for the crumbs that fell from the master's table, what he's just saying was, when you get done wiping your hands and you fed yourself to the foot, just throw me them discarded bread. Contrast. And he was content to have the bread that would fall from the white hands of the rich man. He's a disabled man. The Bible says the dogs came and licked his sores, giving the ideal of either one of two things. Either he was so weak, he couldn't shoo them away or keep them away. Or, this may sound strange, but he welcomed it because it was a sense of relief for the dogs to lick the sores and bring about a little relief. Either way, he was a disabled man. Two men and two lives and nothing in common while they lived on earth. Polar opposites. And if I get you to see anything else tonight, if, I, if you fail to see this, if all you see is this world, then don't miss this. All you'll see in this story is a rich man and a beggar. That's all you'll see. And that's all you'll see in your life. You'll see a life that's, that's spent to get all the money and houses and toys and trinkets that I possibly can. Or you'll just see a world and you'll say, my goodness, I can't see God in that. Truth of the matter was, God's all over it. He's going to see it. 
Because you see, they had nothing in common while they lived on earth. But don't miss this. They had, had nothing in common while they lived in eternity. Nothing. And it came to pass. And don't miss this. It's coming to pass for all of us. Are you listening? It's a coming to pass for all of us. I stand amazed at how, how much we, we get all out of sorts. And, and I, I, don't, I, I miss my loved ones too. And I, I miss family when they die too. And, but I want you to know, it's coming to pass, amen, to every single one of us. We find here that, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels in Abraham's bosom. The Bible also says, but the rich man also died and was buried. Hundreds of years ago, before this happened, Job asked a question, Job 14.10. But man dieth and wasteth away, yet man giveth up the ghost. And here's the question, and where is he? Job asked that question, where is he? Where are these two men as they left this world from two polar, polar distances apart? One left in a bed of luxury and other left begging. Job's answer, question was answered though. First of all, we... We see here the rich man. We see a hell to shun. In verse 22, And the rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. It's interesting, Jesus mentioned the fact that the rich man was buried. His funeral was no doubt a great gathering of all the dignitaries and, and city officials. His funeral no doubt made the front page of the local paper. Many mourners were hired to weep and cry at this man's passing. Every possible honor was paid to him. Even at his funeral was a going on in hell, he lifted up his eyes, been in torment. And no amount of words that the preacher could say about that man that day, and no amount of anything that could be said would change the fact that in hell he tormented how they're saying all they're saying. Hyman Appleman wrote, I know there's a hell not because I taught the fact in seminary, I know there's a hell not because my denomination believes in. I know there's a hell not because all orthodox fundamental Christians in all the world of every persuasion believe it. He said, that ain't enough. Man may be mistaken. The best of them may be wrong. Man may devise a theory which spreads universally, but is wrong nevertheless. He said, I believe there's a hell because God said there was a hell in His holy word. Men can doubt and deny and defy the existence, but don't miss this. It doesn't change it. The fact there's a hell that's real. 
It's not a myth like Hercules or, or Mercury hails a biblical truth and an eternal reality. The Bible says the uttermost torments of the rich experience was this. The rich man experienced and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments, many of them. There's no words to describe the awfulness of this place. There's no words. I do not know if it was true. I really don't. I read some that said it was a hoax, and others that said that it wasn't. But I read an article where they decided they wanted to drill as far as they could into the earth. And they just drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled. And finally they dropped the microphone down into the hole as far as... Far as and and they, made, they made this statement that the screams and the cries was so unnerving that men in the project just throw everything down and quit and, and run home and said they just couldn't do it. Capped off the hole and said, we just can't do that. I don't know if that's true, but I know this much. And we better get a hold of this. If daddy ain't saved, he's going to hell. Mama ain't saved, she's going to hell. If her son and daughters are not saved, they're going to hell. And if you're not saved, you'll go to hell. I mean, we better get a hold of this thing. And it's not a figment of somebody's imagination. And the torments of that place is very, very real. Throughout the Bible, we find hell is described as a lake of fire in Revelation 20, 15. It's a devouring fire in Isaiah 33, 14. It's a bottomless pit. Someone has said that it is a blackness and you're ever fallen. The person's ever fallen, never hitting bottom. It is an everlasting burning. It's a furnace of fire. It's a place of filth. It's a place where they're cursing. It's a place of no rest. It's a place of everlasting punishment. It's a place where they're gnawing their tongues and biting one another. It's a place of darkness forever. It's a place where their breath will be as a living flame. It's a place for the devil and his angels. It's a place where people are cast alive. It's a place where they drink the wine of the wrath of their God. It's a place, don't miss this, it's a place they will forever remember every gospel message that they ever heard. You'll remember when that preacher on a Sunday night preached, not really sure why he needed to preach it, but you were in that congregation that night. And then God pricked your heart and for the first time the reality that you were not saved become real. Become very real. I'm not saved. I'm not saved. And in hell you'll remember every bit of that. The drug addict well, I have the same hunger and burning desire for drugs in hell that he has now. The alcoholic will have the same desire 
the sex-crazed maniac behind the same desires in hell, but to never be satisfied. The one that's deceived and loves this world more than they love God and a dissatisfaction, discontentment in hell will always be there. Someone has written, one frightful, terrible, awful, hopeless word of hell is this. Forever! 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 Never ends. Never ends. Again and again, the rich man lifts his heads above the about that lake that burned with fire and brimstone again and again. He looks about to see the gates, the bars, the bolts, the locks, the, the, the penitentiary of the damned. Hills forever. Beyond God forever. Beyond Jesus Christ forever. Beyond the Spirit of God forever. Beyond the Bible forever. Beyond the gospel forever. Beyond the cross forever. Beyond forgiveness forever. Beyond grace and mercy forever, 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 forever damned. The rich man had nothing in common with the beggar on earth. But he has nothing in common in eternity either. I see the rich man a hell that we're to shun. But I see the beggar with a heaven that we're to seek. There's no mention of a funeral for Lazarus. Historians say his body was most likely carried out to the city dump. There was a fire burning there and his body would have been just pitched over into the fire to be destroyed or be devoured by the animals around. No one had a nice word to say over him. There's no flowers. No special song sung. No funeral director. No sermon preached. No one to share a story. And there was no one to care. After all, he's just a beggar off the street. But when he breathed his last breath in this life, hallelujah, he caught the next one in heaven. Now there were some things that God did. And he said, world, you're not going to get to see this. I want to do some things for that beggar that he never did for the rich man. Number one, there's a heavenly escort that came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. He got a heavenly escort to glory. There was angelic pallbearers there. There was Abraham waiting to welcome him on the other side. There was comfort to a worn out beggar. There was a Christ. 
that made it all of his begging and living worthwhile. He had been cast out, but now he's being carried away. Nobody on earth came to his funeral, but angels came to it. Amen? No one else sung a song, but don't you wonder if God said, hey, let's strike up the angelic choir and sing a song or two for this fellow. I want you to know, on life, his life on earth was one of sickness and sorrow. His life in heaven is one of health and happiness. The Bible closes this passage with, with, with these words to, to the certain rich man. He said, and beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. Why did he say that? Because in these two extremes that God lets us see, these two certain ones, we follow the rich man and we go to the house and we say, Sir, do you need anything? I don't need nothing. I don't need anything. I've got all this world. I won't. If I don't have it, I'll buy it. You go to the other extreme. Lazarus, need anything? Yeah, you got a piece of bread? You reckon a rich man can let a few crumbs fall from his table for me to eat? You got a little something to put in my cup today? Oh, I want you to know, but in eternity, the roles change. An angelic host takes the beggar. He takes him over here. And he puts him in the real rich man's house. Hallelujah. Over here, he puts him in the real rich man's house. He says, Lazarus, don't need a thing. What about the rich man now? What about, do you need anything? Can you give me one drop of water? Just, just one dry tormented in this flame. It's amazing. Two certain ones. How contrasted. In earth, their life was one way, and eternity, their life is just the other. I puzzle all day why God wanted to bring this message? I really have. But I believe perhaps it's this. Sometimes we find ourselves on this earth again this ideal that we have given so much up to serve God. I just tell you, I, got, I pay my tithes, I do this, and I do this, and do this. And there are times that it just don't look like it's worth the effort. You can be honest, it's just us here tonight. Amen. Ain't nobody here but just saw the Rock Baptist Church. So we can just be us. And sometimes we, we, we think the sacrifice is it's just not worth it. 
while we're on this earth. Why could I could live in a better house if I didn't have to tithe? I could buy drive a better car if I didn't tithe. I could I could do this if I didn't give an offering. I, I we could get that room remodeled if we didn't give an offering. Yeah. But those of you that love God, just do it anyhow. Yeah. Because you see, that's this earth. But there's an eternity coming. Amen. And God's going to take us over here into His house. And I'm going to tell you, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man that which God said, I've got for you. That's what He said. Boy, we could we could just we could just interview Lazarus today. We'd say, Lazarus, how's things going? Oh, Lord, it's it's never been better. And all it cost me was a little bit of begging on the side of the road. My lot in life, by the way. See, some of you, your your thinking is so shallow. You thought God's unjust. You don't think God was fair. Why, what, how, what's fair about God putting a man on the side of the road of begging all of his life? And to my knowledge, Lazarus on earth was nothing, never nothing but a beggar. But that was his lot. He said, I'm going to love God, serve God. And now for eternity, he's got it all. And a rich man for an eternity. You know what? Now, don't miss this. The Bible says he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Here's what that says. That's present tense. What it means when he said it was, I'm in torment right now. And guess where the rich man is right now? The, the verbiage there is present tense. It's not future for him. It's not past. It's present tense. On August the 10th, 2014, at, at five minutes to seven on a Sunday night, the rich man is in hell lifting up his eyes, being in torments, begging for one drop of water. And it's as real a place. If you don't believe that, ask him. He'll tell you. He's begging for somebody to go tell his brothers. He's the best witness that's ever been. Please, somebody go tell him. Warren Wiersbe wrote a book called Meet Yourself in the Psalms. He tells about a frontier town where a horse bolted and ran away with a wagon can little boy, seeing the child in danger. A young man risked his life to catch the horse and stop the wagon. The child was was saved, grew up to become a lawless man. And one day he stood before a judge to be sentenced for a serious crime. The prisoner immediately recognized the judge as a man who years before had saved his life. So he pleaded for mercy on the basis of that experience. But the words from the bench silenced his plea. Young man, then 
I was your Savior. Today, I'm your judge. And I must sentence you to be hanged. One day, Jesus Christ will say to every rebellious sinner, Sir, ma'am, that day was the day of grace. I was your Savior. And I would have forgiven you. But because you rejected and pushed me away, and you shoved me away, the day will come that I will be your judge. And the words will be, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Tonight, I wonder, where's your heart? You say, Preacher, I, I know beyond a doubt that I'm saved. I know that. No doubt in my mind. I'm as settled on that as anything I've ever been. I say hallelujah. Are your children saved? We, we better get a hold of this, folks. How many of you ever like watch, how many of you ever watch Palm Stars? Praise God. I need some more backslidden people here. Amen. I, I don't watch that stupid, I like that stupid show. And one of the things they do is they come in that pawn shop and, 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 they, and they got all this stuff they're going to sell. And almost every case they'll get something and, um, and, and the dude that owns that here said, well listen, we've we got to get an expert in here to find out if it's real. He says if it's real, it's worth a pile of money. But if it's not, it's not. The other day they had a book, Ernest Hemingway, first edition. And had a signature on a on a plaque. Well, the book was real. They sold that book for four hundred bucks. I'm hunting me one. You got one? I sell in a heartbeat. But he called a signature man in, and the man looked at that signature. He said, "Sir, I hate to tell you this, but he said that signature is a fake. It's an, it's, it's not the real thing." And he talked about how Ernest Hemingway signed his name, made the H's. And he said, it's, it's not real, and it become worthless. Now, don't miss this. You now have the title of Christian. But one day, one day, Holy Ghost to God, you'll stand before God, and He's going to find out it's going to be either real or it's not. You now have the title of Christian, but not never be a Christian. Now I'm going to get by as basic as I can be. If you've never seen yourself as a hell-bound, hell-deserving sinner, there's a good chance you've never been saved. But I got the fuzzies. Well, I got the fuzzies when I got married. I had a feeling. I get a lot of feelings. No. Well, I praise God today I saw I was a hell-bound sinner and I couldn't save myself. So you can't get saved till you realize you're lost. And once you realize you're lost, and right now if you cannot go back to a place in time when you know that Jesus Christ opened your eyes to the reality of your lost condition and you realize I need a Savior. 
I didn't say you were baptized. A lot of people tell me when they're baptized. I'm going to tell you something. You can baptize anything. Salvation, baptism don't save you. You know Him. You've got to be sure. You've got to be sure. Is there something in your life? I just go to this extent. All you young people look this way now. I'm just being as serious as I can be because I love you and I care. If you sin and it don't bother you, well, you ought to do some checking up. There's something ain't right. There's something ain't right. And so we need to understand hell's a very real place. And tonight we're going to heaven or we're going to hell. But back to the question. Because somebody's got a title don't mean they're saved. Is your young and saved? Well, preacher, they tell me they are. Okay, can I ask you this question? Would you be okay dying with what they got? I know it's serious. I know it's a challenging question. Would you be okay dying with what they have? Is your grandchildren saved? Is your brothers, is your mom and daddy saved? No, I, well, I, I'm pretty sure. I, I'm telling you something. No, no. You need to be falling on your face and begging God to put something real in their heart. Because one thing for sure and certain, the, the, he ended this way. He said, there's a gulf between us. And when you go to heaven, you don't change it. When you go to hell, you don't change it. And one day, well, it's going to come to pass. We're going to all pass away. And you're going to be in heaven or in hell. Here tonight, where are you going to be? What about your family? When, when are we going to get this burden for our families again? We, we bought their lie that they say they're saved. But yet nothing in their life ever changes. I'd get a burden for them. Amen? Because hell is a very terrible place. It's all stand to